Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Polstring Press, for this great studio. Today, wow, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Traver Boehm. Traver, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you I, for having me. I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled you're here. We, um, our listener knows that uh, we're friends, and uh, we like to do walk and talks. Yes, we and, do. Uh, we were on a recent walk and talk, and you told me about something that you're going to do. Yes. Uh, which we'll get to, but I want to just let people know who we're who we're talking to. Sure, you are a um, I'm going to say fitness expert, wellness expert. Sure, but you worked in the private protection industry. I did, and you were a mixed. You were an MMA fighter. I was right. And yep. what was so? I want to hear the you. You said to yourself. Oh, I want to go in the cage and get the crap beat out of me. Yes. Tell me, what was that? Exi- do you remember that moment? The moment I made the decision? To do that. Yes, I do. Tell me about that. Sure. I was in Hollywood at the time, and the, the history of MMA isn't as, as broad as people may think it is, that you know, 10 years ago, this was illegal. And really? So, oh, absolutely. And there were oh, no... I didn't know that. Yeah, there were no MMA fights in the U.S., so a bunch of people would go down to Tijuana to actually watch them. And it would be guys from California, guys from Michigan, guys from San Diego would drive across the border and fight. And I was down there watching them and was like, oh, wow, this is very interesting. And posed the question to myself, could I do this? I was a martial artist at the time, but didn't have a lot of fight history. Right. And uh, I went to a show in Hollywood. It was illegal, underground, in huh. a... I think it was in a nightclub that someone had rented out for the night. And I went in and I watched the guys fight. And I remember looking up in the cage and thinking, there's no difference between me and them except for the decisions they've made. They've decided to wake up one morning and say, every decision I make from this day until I get in there is going to get me in there. And so the difference between me and them was a set of decisions. And I didn't think I'd be able to look back on my life and not having, had I not done it, I wouldn't look back positively. I'd say, you know what, that's a question. Really? Yeah, it would be a burning question. You know, what was the question? Could I do it? Could I get myself to walk in there? And, and not actually could I fight. I knew I could fight. But right. could I prepare for it? Could I handle it? Could I do all the buildup? And I had been in, in fight camps where you know, everybody wants to be a fighter until fight night. And oh, really? Everyone wants to be a fighter until it's time to sign the contract. Like, okay, I'm in, you know, and, and I wanted to test myself and say, okay, did, you know, everyone can talk about it, mm. but what happens when it's your name on the paper and, you know, mm. the Vaseline on your face and they're gloving you up and it's time to go in? Can you handle yourself? Can you hold it together? Can you do it? And I wanted to answer that question. And this is fantastic because I'm, I'm, I'm curious, mm-hmm. when did you get your first answer that you could? Was it getting punched and getting back up and shaking it off and going, uh, were you present enough to know that you had, actually, you had answered that question for yourself in your first fight? It probably wasn't until it was over. Hmm. Uh, le- you know, it's a blur leading up to it. The, the eight weeks leading up to the fight are 
a mix of this idea that you have that something's going to happen and this incredible anxiety that would sweep over me and then the, the feeling that this isn't really real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to the day where you're, you know, you're, you're dropping weight. You're in a sauna. You're in a sauna with a couple other guys and, and the nerves are, are sort of connected. Uh, then you show up and do, do a little bit of press. You're getting interviewed and it's becoming a little bit more real. Then you show up uh, for the weigh-in and you see your opponent and this is a guy that's just been conceptually in your head. You've seen pictures. Back then there wasn't a lot of videos so you couldn't really study him. You just knew what he looked like, knew where he trained, and all of a sudden he's human. And, right. and you're standing in front of him and you're getting your picture taken and then you're face-to-face and, and this is a living, breathing person that you realize in 24 hours I'm going to be locked in a cage with and, and have to try to beat in front of a lot of people. Uh, that's when it becomes real. But at that point, there's so much momentum and so much, I guess, anxiety. That train's still, left the station. That's left. And, right. and so it's not, it wasn't until I remember the cage door being shut. Ooh. And I remember the referee asking, are you ready? And from there, it was pretty much a blur until, uh, until I walked out afterwards. Did you win the first fight? I did. Yay. I did. I won by decision, but I, I got the snot beaten out of me. And I have big gaps of recall. You know, I went back to my corner and, and afterwards asked them, like, well, what about this? Do you guys remember, you know, X, Y, and Z was happening? What, what should I have done? And they were narrating different parts of the fight that I had zero recollection of. Wow. And it wasn't from trauma. It was simply from blocking it out. And then I How went, long did you do that? I fought three times professionally, once as an amateur. So it was about a three-year period of my life, two-and-a-half-year period. And... Were you still doing um, private protection at the time? At the time, I wasn't. I'd left the private protection business and, oddly enough, gotten into real estate appraisal. And yeah, one, those are, that's <laughs> a natural progression, <laughs> yeah. right? Truthfully, uh, Mark, I went into HR at the private protection company. I worked for Gavin DeBecker, and I went into his HR department, and I told the HR director, I don't think this is for me. I'm considering grad school. I want to do some other stuff. And he said... Actually, I don't think this is for me either. What? I'm going to be the HR guy. The HR guy. Yeah. <laughs> I said I'm going to become a real estate appraiser. I said, "Well, what's what's a real estate appraiser?" He said, "Don't even worry about that. Here's what you need to know." You're kidding. You get to set your own hours and it pays well. And I said, "That sounds fantastic. Sign me up." So this is after Boston College? This is well after BC, yeah. So you went to Boston College, you have a degree in philosophy Mm -hmm. and Asian studies, which absolutely prepared you for the protection and real estate appraisal. Completely, completely. I got into private protection. It's another wonderful story. If you know the book, The Gift of Fear. I don't. Written by Gavin. The Gift of Fear, okay. Gavin Becker. It's a New York Times bestseller. One of the best books I've ever read. And the book that I've recommended and given to, to over 100 people. Highly, highly recommend this. Okay. The book left such an impression upon me that for the first time in my life, I wrote an author a letter. I wrote Gavin a letter and said, I think the book was fantastic. It changed my life. Can you recommend a a bodyguarding school? I'm I'm open to some new ideas for a career. You know, I'm 23, 24 years old. Right. Don't have much direction. What do you think about a school? And in reply, he sent me back a job application. No kidding. And said, fill this out. You know, send it in and, and we'll take it from there. And I had uh, lifeguarding experience, right? which was far more valuable to them than military experience or uh, protection experience because they could teach me that. 
But right. When, but when your when your job is to be with a sixty five year old workaholic CEO, the chances of him encountering violence are far less likely than the chances of him having a medical issue. Mm. So they were they were interested in the fact that I'd had years of lifeguarding experience, and that's how I got into the business. Is there something about lifeguarding about putting your whole life at risk to save someone else's? You know, like you've got to run out in the undertow. Was it lifeguarding in a pool, or was it in the? It was wild? a mix. So I started on the East Coast. It was just in a in a pool in pools and a, a lake. Right. And then I came out to California and did it in Coronado for a summer, and it was far more interesting. But as I was a, a collegiate swimmer. And, oh, you were? And water polo player. So I had that skill set already. So the water was natural. Right. I think that's the difference of it's not as it's not as dangerous to a swimmer and to someone who's comfortable. So how did Asian studies fit into that mix? Because you're, you know, you're athletic by nature. Right. What, what, was there some, and you said you do martial arts. Yeah. So did is that what lent you towards Asian studies? What lent me towards Asian studies is I grew up in Japan or for about a five-year period. You grew up in period. Japan? Yeah, from age 10 to 15. So I started off in Connecticut, and my dad worked for IBM, and this was back in the 80s, and we got transferred to Tokyo. And I lived in Tokyo for five years, and that's really where my love of, of Asian philosophy okay, and well Eastern that, philosophy came. Okay, well, now that came. makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I got to go to Tokyo in 1987. We bought a company. Oh, no kidding. And I had to go to Tokyo. I was probably there we were, we were kind of freaking out. Really? And I went there, and I had a complete stereotypical image, like made in Japan. Uh-huh. was my you know, image. Right. And I got there, and it was, it was nothing like that at mm-hmm. all. It was New York times 100. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it was fantastic. I mean, we, the company we acquired had 600 clients there. Oh, wow. So we had a lot of business in Tokyo. Yeah. I was there quite often and did a lot of Asia Pacific stuff. So I a- absolutely loved it and and haven't been there in ten years, but oh, wow. would would love to go to go back. So you speak Japanese? A little bit. It's been a while. When I left, I did, and but I got back at about age fifteen. So that was you know, twenty four years ago. Now, did you study martial arts there? I did judo. Did judo? Yeah, my mom put me in judo when I was pretty young. I was a hyperactive kid. So in addition to swimming and soccer, she wanted me doing something else that was hands-on. And, and I loved Bruce Lee and Kung Fu movies. Of course, movies right, and, sure, know, sure. Under the Dragon changed my yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Connecticut wasn't really a hotbed for uh, Kung Fu, but they did have a judo class at the Y, and that's what really got me started. Oh, nice. Um, so, and then somewhere along the line, you became a nutrition specialist. What, where, where did that come from? What was the genesis of that? The genesis of that was after bodyguarding or after working for Gavin, I decided to go to acupuncture school or get a master's in traditional Chinese medicine. It was on a master's. Mm -hmm. It's a four year master's program. It's a quite intensive four years with very little break. And, And you end up with a master's in traditional Chinese medicine. Wow. And there I really started to understand and learn the role that food played in our health and became enthralled with it. But truthfully, it wasn't until I got into CrossFit and saw the impact that it had athletically and performance-wise that it really grabbed me. I understood, okay, this will make you healthier. This could help with certain disease. But you know, at the time, I was 28, 29 years old and an, a, a professional athlete, and so I wanted to find what's gonna make me better, what's gonna make me faster, what's gonna make me stronger, what's gonna make me leaner. I didn't have the contact of 
what's going to help my diabetes or what's going to help cancer. So it was really a performance interest at the time. You know, on, on the show, we, we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. We talk about one percenters. We talk about business fitness, mm. but we don't talk about, we, and we have, and, and we've had some episodes where we talk about wellness because I think there's a, there's a balance there. As entrepreneurs, we tend to burn the candle at both ends. Definitely. And we don't focus on that. Uh, what's been your experience with entrepreneurs and fitness? I think that most entrepreneurs I know are fitness oriented, truthfully. Really? Yeah. And it may be because most entrepreneurs that I run into are through a fitness business or through my through the gym. But I think the same drive that that leads people to entrepreneurism is the competitiveness that they can find in fitness as well. Ah, uh, yes. I'm not I don't have a lot of contact with the tech industry, so it may be different there. But most entrepreneurs I know realize or understand, at least intellectually, and are trying to put into practice that they are the root of the business. They right. are the foundation. And the, if they're healthy, they're strong, they're active, then the business will be too. Not to say they're not working 18-hour days. And but they still carve out time to, yeah. to go focus on They see on it as that. an investment. You know, the hour three, four times a week is going to yield a far, far greater return than, than sitting at their desk for that hour. It will help them throughout the day, both clarity-wise, creativity-wise, and long-term health-wise. So let's stay along that path, sure. that, that investment, because that's a, a term we can all figure out, right? Sure, so sure, sure. we've talked about investing in relationships. We've talked about you know, actual investment. You just talked about investment in fitness. Mm -hmm. I also know from our conversations that you are... Um, I don't know you get certified in this, but you have a master's in meditation as well. Uh, <laughs> Is that fair to say? <laughs> I have no formal degree or, or I don't even know if you can yeah. get one, but... Yeah, but <laughs> you probably can somewhere. Somewhere, right? Yeah. So th that's an investment yes. as well. To talk to us about that and, sure. and the, the mindset that... Because I, I don't think that's a natural place for entrepreneurs to right. go they'll get right. fitness right but when we talk about mental fitness why don't you speak on that a little bit sure i'd love to you know, and this is a, a challenge mark because i've had to ask myself i've worked with hundreds of clients over the years and 99.9 percent .9 of them want to be better at what they do during the day yep as opposed to mine aren't the i need to lose 100 pounds it's, it's how do i get better at x I sharpen my sword absolutely and Six years ago, I would have told you, if you want to be a better father, lawyer, accountant, anything, get fit. That's step one. You have to be fit. That will make you better at everything. Now, years later, after working in the fitness industry and working with people on their fitness and then starting to put into place meditation and mindfulness, I would be hard-pressed to tell you which one I would choose first. If you were to come to me and say, even if you said, you know, I'm 50 pounds overweight, I eat terribly, and I want to get to the next level, I wouldn't be sure which one I would prescribe first as far as fitness or meditation. All of my private clients have to agree to meditate, period, or I won't really? work with them. Yeah, that's step one. Not all of them, if it's consulting or, or coaching, have to agree to a, a fitness practice. But if you're not going to meditate, I won't work with you. It's that important to me. And it's setting, it's the foundation of the day. 
It's the foundation of your life. In my opinion, it's the foundational life skill. Really? Yes. And why is that? It sets your day up. It sets your mind up. It sets your being up. If you are constantly going to be distracted, and we live in a world that is nothing but increasing distractions, you and I both turned our phones off before starting this. We now have a device that's tied to us, literally tied to us, that every 15 to 20 seconds grabs our attention. That's the world we live in, is it attention grabbing? So if we can hold some of that attention, if we can train ourselves and create a daily practice where we say, this attention is mine, if we'll start the day by owning that attention and saying, even if it's only for 15 minutes, before my kids get up, before the world gets a piece of me, I'm going to do some holding work. I'm going to patch some holes in the walls. I'm going to fortify my defenses. Then I'm going to let the world into me. I believe that is mastery. That is the only way we will master the overwhelming odds that are working against us, especially attention-wise. A couple of a couple of comments. Sure. So I started 97 days ago. Okay. And I know because I'm doing it in 30-day blocks. Excellent. <laughs> and I'm using an app called Headspace. Mm -hmm. Our listener is familiar because yep. I've talked about this a lot, and I heard about it through a whole life challenge. Yep. And there was a one-day, one-week mindfulness part of the challenge, right. and you had to do this app for 10 days, 10 yep. minutes for 10 days. And I did the 10 days, but then I didn't pick it back up until three or four months ago. And in this, this block I'm working on right now is about focus. Okay. And it's about, it's that understanding that we get distracted so easily. Yes. We, someone called it, Clay Shirky calls it uh, continuous partial attention. Yes. And so through uh, Headspace, it's teaching focus. And uh, what I like about him is he uh, incorporates visualization into oh, it. Oh, excellent. And I'm a visualization guy excellent so for me it just it just clicked i can i can make those pictures mm -hmm. and he teaches us these little drills but you said the word practice mm -hmm. and it's not like oh i meditate and then it's i'm done right it's like it's like a little pill i took i took my meditation pill right but he actually uh, says okay we're gonna have that focus 10 or 15 minutes right but then flash practice through the day yes. three, four, five times, even if it's literally just sit, close your eyes or whatever. Um, in fact, this a week ago, he said, go find a pebble <laughs> and take that pebble and because it comes a little token right? that you can just and put that pebble and have a clear space on your desk and to just look at there and practice the focusing and the flow of focus. Right. I had honestly had no idea how important that was yeah and yet it's now i get fussy if i don't meditate oh, yeah. in the morning right? good 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 yeah it's very similar to fitness where in the beginning people have to set up games and tricks and accountability uh, i have get a number of texts on my phone every morning saying meditated and that's my people or my clients oh, checking in oh, with me oh. and if i don't by the end of the day i check in with them hey i didn't get your meditation text did you do it and that's just like a fitness practice. Right. You know, yes, you have an accountability buddy. But right. then there's a shift and you start to not only see the benefit of the practice, but it changes you. And it changes you to a point where you then begin to not be able to function well without it. I'm that way with fitness. If I go three days without working out, I'm gonna lose my mind. 
And I know people that are now that way that a year ago, two years ago, were working out once a month and then once a week. And then we had to put games and punishments and, and accountability in play to get them to come three times a week. But mm. it is a practice. It is a practice of how you engage with, your, with the world and with yourself after meditation. This right, is something that's right. very important. I think people look at meditation and say, well, one, I did it wrong this morning. I was thinking all the way through it. Where You can't do it wrong. It's doing it is correct. But just because you had a challenge in the actual act, it doesn't mean that the benefit isn't there throughout the day. Just returning to a point in your practice, where in, the, in your actual meditation, where you say, okay, I just was on a thought stream. I was just fantasizing i was watching a mental movie i caught myself i brought myself back to center i refocused took a breath and i carried on just the the act of doing that once will change you and it will change you throughout the day because you then have a conscious contact you have a specific feeling of knowing what it's like to have your mind running and right. to pull it back to where you want right. it to where you're in control of it you know one of the things i learned a ton from working with gavin de becker and he actually sowed some of the early seeds for me with meditation. Really? Yes. And he would say, your brain is like a chainsaw. It okay. wants to cut down trees. That's what it does. It cuts down trees. So it's a great tool to have when you need to cut down a tree. But when you're trying to go to sleep at night, <laughs> an, an active chainsaw is not what you want in your head. Right. And that was very helpful for me to start to understand and even to explain to clients that you have a tool, but it doesn't need to be on all day. It doesn't need to be overactive. It, it's there when you need it, and then you want to be able to pull away from it when you don't. And that's what the active practice of meditation gives you. And I think it also sharpens the tool so that when you do use it, it hasn't been running all day. Right. It's not getting too hot. It's not dull. And the, the, the relaxation time without it is, is gold. It's true gold. We had Dr. Keith DeWitt in here mm -hmm. uh, several episodes ago, and we talked about meditation and he said that there's actual m science that measures the increase in brain activity and the improvement in in your brain oh yeah i absolutely. love if i love the science of mm -hmm. things like if, if you know the the woo woo part right uh that's uh, inappropriate but th that part of it just say do it on faith right that doesn't move me to action. It moves some people. It doesn't move me. Mm -hmm. But if there's science involved, mm -hmm. then I'm I'm a science guy. So I'll I'll go there. And so theoretically, I'm smarter than I was four months ago. So I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. Uh, so we'll Beautiful. see. We'll Beautiful. we'll see. So so now we've established kind of a base. We've got a foundation: sure. the meditation, the acupuncture, sure. Chinese medicine. I want to. I really would like to talk to you about that and headaches. Sure. Um, I'm having headaches. Okay. And uh, it's interesting. I was uh, got a brain scan okay. uh, yesterday, two days ago. And you're in that tube. Yeah. And you know what I did? I meditated. Beautiful. I said, you know, this is a perfect, perfect time for me to close my eyes and completely go in that space. And you've got this huge sound. But, right. um I'm going down a Western path to mm -hmm. try to figure that out. So I want to maybe I'll talk to you about an Eastern path sure, sure, towards sure, sure. that. So we'll park all that so okay. we know who you are now and, and where you came from and your schooling and, and all of that. But you're going you're gonna to hit the pause button 
on all of that yes. here in the next few weeks yes. and do what? I am taking a trip. So I've designed a year and it's it's kind of a long story and, and it's also on unf- We have time. Sure. It's also unfolding. I haven't gotten it all figured out, but the the basis of the year is to act as if it were my last on earth. Mm. I don't I'm not sick, I'm not dying knock on wood or not right. dying faster than everybody else is. But as a, not just an experiment, but a learning process and a healing process, I'm actively acting as if the year were my last. And I've got some travel set up and some experiences set up and some volunteer work and just a really unique, pl- un- unique year plan for myself. And what do you call this? I've, I've named it the Year to Live Project based off of a book, A Year to Live by Stephen Levine that is specifically written for people who have a terminal diagnosis or people who actually are doing something similar, who are using the a year or using the process as a spiritual practice to prepare for death. And w- so, I mean, I've got a thousand questions. Sure, fire them away. How long have you been thinking about doing this? Hmm. The impetus came probably last February or March, and I'll give you the full story of it. Uh, I had a marital transition that happened very quickly. Uh, I woke up one morning and found out an hour later I was no longer married. Okay. And I didn't know that was coming. And at the time, I then went down to a, a Buddhist center in Los Angeles called Against the Stream. And they had a program in their in their center called the Year to Live program. Where oh. every month, a group of people, they'd sign up for a year and say, every month we're going to meet and talk about going through this process as if we were dying and following the book. The book has some guidelines and they'd, they'd meditate on certain aspects for a month and have some actual practices for the month and then congregate and discuss what they'd learned from it. And I saw that and it was intriguing to me. Mm. I thought, well, I still don't know what's going to happen if I'm fully going to get divorced or if this is just a blip in the road. I have my business. Um, Everything's kind of up in the air. The rug's just gotten pulled out from under me. Let's just keep that idea on the side. Uh, And it wasn't until just a couple months ago when I realized that my marriage was definitely going to be over and that there was an opportunity to do something away from my business, to sell my, my side of the business to my partner and actually move out of the business, that a huge opening was created. And so here I have... So it was kind of a confluence of things. Entirely. And both of them came together to come apart at the same time. It's a Can't, really well, They came together to yeah. come apart. There's your T-shirt, yeah. everybody. <laughs> So oddly enough, my marriage and the business started, or the relationship and my business started almost at the same time and ended within weeks of each other. So So if we were astrologers, we might look at your chart right now and see if something's opposing something, right? (laughs) Mercury's upset about something. Something, right? So you decide to do this and... Tell us, now you don't have it all figured out, so part of it is just kind of go with the flow Mm -hmm. part of it, but give us some sense of some of the highlights that you already have figured out. So I'm staying in California for the month of January, and I'll be meeting with some of my old friends that I haven't seen in a while, touching base with some family. I'm doing a men's weekend with Robert Masters, if you know him. He wrote the book To Be a Man. It's a small group that I've actually worked with before of eight men 
and we came together and spent about three days in a yurt just doing some deep wow. work. Wow. Very, very intense emotional work. It was my first experience with it and it was truly an eye-opener. Uh, that group has decided to re-meet again in January. And so I'll be seeing them and then doing the speaking course with your wife yep. um, with, to practice some public speaking. And then I go to Santa Fe. And in Santa Fe, I'll be spending three months there working or volunteering in a hospice. And now, why, why there? And what, what are you going to do when you're volunteering? Sure. I am just going to be of service. I'm just going to be... I'm going to be a lot of things, I believe. I don't know the exact day-to-day, but I've asked, what do you require from your volunteers? And they say it can be anything from reading to a patient to sitting with a patient to listening to their stories to going into homes and helping with dishes, to just giving a reprieve to the family member that's the actual live-in care, to literally just showing up and saying, okay, I'm able-bodied, I'm able-minded, I have an open heart, what do you need? When you think, though, of your last year on Earth, Mm -hmm. some might say, oh, I'm going to travel around the world, I'm going to hike the tallest mountain, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do those kinds of things that wouldn't necessarily... First on the list is not go to hospice and volunteer. How did, and I get the service part of what you Mm -hmm. do, but why did that become number one? It's an interesting question, Mark, that I've played with, that this all sort of unfolded at a point where I looked at, I'll be turning 40 in January, and I looked at my life and said, okay, I thought at this point I would be raising a kid married to my wife, still living in Mission Canyon, and working in my business. Mm. And all of a sudden, none of those are going to be happening. Right. So what can I do for a year? What, how can I take a year off of my life? I can't afford it, so I'm, I'm grateful for that and in the unique position. But instead of diving right back into a similar situation where people have said, just start, start dating, open another business, get right back into your life, I said, let's put a pause on it. Right. Up until now, all of my accomplishments and desires have been in the physical realm. I was a Division One athlete, ran the best Boston Marathon, I've hiked Mount Whitney, I've run Pier to Peak, I fought in a cage, I was uh, opened a gym, I've, I've met all of my athletic goals, and I've surfed big waves, I've, I've skied all over the world, I've lived all over the world from being in Japan, so it was from that time period. So physically, I feel like I've checked a lot of the boxes. Yeah. And now I want to go internally hmm. and check some boxes in the arena that's still now scariest for me and I believe has the highest potential for growth isn't the physical realm. It's not uh, hiking Everest or you know, running some extreme race or doing a Tough Mudder or um, any, any extreme physical challenge. I know my physical capabilities. I've put myself in tests that I wasn't sure I was going to survive and I've survived them. Now I want to go on the inside and go, what, now what's scary? What's terrifying? W- what's the mental equivalent of climbing Whitney? Uh, Whitney? I think it's sitting with someone as they're dying yeah, and, and being be. able to h- hold yourself together and mm. not only hold yourself together but hold space for them. Mm. And that, I believe, will be a challenge that I don't know how to speak on until it happens. Right. And that's why I want to do it. And, and it was very, very early in my mind. I thought, okay, that I, I one hit you. To. That hit me. And it wasn't even for my own. Th- the year to live for me isn't around death. 
I'm not worried about death. I don't fear death. It's about life. You it's said about it's a year life. to live. Yeah, it's a year to, f- to redesign my own life. And more importantly, to redesign myself so that the next phase of my life that I enter into, I'm a, a different version than the one that experienced what I have this past year. Just Traver 2.0? 2.0. I love that. Yeah. So uh, what else are you going to do? So I go from hospice. Uh, I, at that time, I will also be, there's a great Zen center in Santa Fe that I'm excited to be at. So I'll be meditating multiple times a day. And oddly enough, the woman that owns it uh, has a lot of experience with the dying and in hospice. But I'm using that also just as a meditative training practice. I tried to get into a monastery to live there for a month, but it just didn't work out time right. and logistics wise. So I go from three months of hospice and meditation and then uh, go to Guatemala, where this is probably the scariest part of the trip. I'll be spending, hopefully, 28 days in complete darkness. What? And you can't see your hand in front of your face, black darkness, alone. What? Okay. How did yeah. you find this? I talked to someone <laughs> who did it and did it for 49 days on two different occasions, and he described it as completely transformative. How's that? You have your senses taken from you. Right, so it's sensory deprivation. Sensory deprivation. But on an order I've never heard of before. On an order that I don't think we can conceptualize until we've experienced, as I said. It's called a dark retreat, and so I did some research on it. Dark retreat. Okay. And listened to people on what their reaction to it, both in it and coming out of it, and the understanding that they say they have of the world and of themselves after the experience was something that I hadn't experienced through any of the physical manifestations of tests up until that point, where truly they get to dive inward. Sounds like an Iron Man for your brain. Yeah. It's, I am, it's the one that's woken me up a couple times in the middle of the night in and a what, panic what already. What the heck am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And will I tap out after a week and you know go running to a beach somewhere and go, I don't ever want to do that again. That was stupid. But the goal is to stay in for the entire period. What have people learned from doing that? They've completely lost their fear of death. Completely. It is a virtual death. You are in blackness. They have recreated the relationship they have with themselves and with their mind. Uh, I know there's a hallucinatory aspect to it after day 11 or 12 where your brain is secreting hormones that will make things a little fuzzy, a little bit trippy. Do you think it's a way of... Uh, the brain kind of protecting itself? I'm not sure. I truly, truly don't know. Have you done any reading on people who've voluntarily done solitary? I mean, it's solitary confinement. It's solitary confinement with the idea that you can get out at any time. And I think those are very different. When Uh, I'm not going to say, okay, see you guys in 28 days. If I lose my mind, too bad. There's someone bringing me food. There's, you know, it's an open door policy. It's not, I'm not locked. I can leave at any time. Yeah, so it's not you've lost despair and there's no hope. <laughs> right, and, oh, my right, God, right. I'm, I'm etching the days on the, <laughs> right, oh, my God. Right. Yeah. But there is a crisis from everyone that's been in it for over seven days. At some point, you reach a crisis that you have to go through. And I think it's your own ego oh. saying, okay, I'm now useless. I am not. There's no entertainment. There's no music. There's no books. I'm a, I like to write. I like to journal. And none of that will be available. It's just yourself for a month in darkness. We could end right there, but we're not going to. Okay. Because that, 
J- just you know, think about that for a second. I mean, yeah. could could you, yeah, be with yourself, yeah, for the next hour? Go into a room, turn yeah. off all the lights. Go in the bathroom, turn off all the lights, and just sit in there with nothing. No, no, I mean, literally nothing. Literally no light, nothing. Yeah. and see if you could do it. I, I, you know, actually, I'm going to try that. Yeah, I'm going to try for one hour. And that just scares the crap out of oh, me. Oh, yeah. It scares me, too. It is as scary as the day I made the decision to fight in a cage. Wow. I, I'm really interested in, in hearing how that goes. Yeah. Are you going to uh, – I know you love to journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you going to be journaling the year? or mm-hmm. how? Can, I'll be could blogging people it. follow yes, this? Absolutely. Do you have a name for the blog yet? Uh, just on my my own website, traverbohm.com. Great. So I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes Thank to you. that. Yeah. So, so you have that. So you you go to Guatemala. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're in Santa Fe. Then you go to Guatemala for mm-hmm. a month. So we're four months in. We're a third of the way through the project. Mm-hmm. Then I slide down to uh, Central America just to surf and volunteer with acupuncture for a while. Really? For a couple months. I have two months blocked or two and a half months blocked. I own property in Nicaragua and have a history of it, of, of being there. It's where I went when things sort of fell apart this year and, and regrouped. Um, I had been there a couple years before on a surf trip and loved it and did did a bunch of acupuncture while I was down there and, and fell back in love with the medicine while I was practicing it. So I've got a chunk of time just to kind of wander through Central America, chase a little bit of surf and, and talk to people. One of the aspects of the trip I haven't mentioned is I'm trying to find people that have been given a terminal diagnosis and then had it reversed. And what have they learned from the process? Because we can hypothesize. I can say, okay, Mark, you've got a year to live. What would you change? Now, or, or would you change anything? And I have posed this question to people and I've gotten an incredible array of reactions. Like? Uh, everything from what you said is, you know, oh, I'm just going to go get drunk and party for a year, which is nonsensical. And then they've just refused to actually drop the question down to people who have burst out crying. And said, "Oh my God, I would I would change everything. I would walk away from my life right now. But I have a mortgage. But I have friends. But it's too scary." Uh, all the way to a couple people have said, "You know, I'm I'm on point. I am literally doing. I would change nothing. I would call some people and, and say I'm sorry, and call some other people and say I love you. But I've found my purpose. And so I want to find people that have had the real thing." And, oh, wow, they've had the doctor look them in the eye and say, I'm so sorry, but you have a year to live. And then had that, again, reversed and say, now what do you carry with just, you? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just kidding, but it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's... Some treatment option came available or there was a healing that we don't know how to recognize. And there are, I've talked to one person so far that has had it happen. And he went from, you'll be passing away in six months to now you have five years. And the, the, the way he wakes up every morning is phenomenally different than it was pre-diagnosis. I and bet. The, and that's intangible. We, um, we did uh, TEDx American Riviera mm-hmm. a few years back, and we had a guy on the stage who had actually died and came oh, back. Wow. And so I would, you know, maybe you can find those kind of folks yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm open to it. There's a, a, a dear friend of ours, um, we had dinner last night, and he drowned. You see, I think he was five or six, and he was dead, oh, drowned, wow. and he fully died. Right, and he is not afraid of death. Oh, I bet at all. Right, 
and it, it's completely colored his whole uh, how he lives his life. Yeah, I bet. Very, very interesting. You might see if yeah, there's it, yeah. some kind yeah. of people. So after you surf, mm-hmm. and that sounds like fun, we've got some friends, Santa Barbarans, who have a surf ranch in Nicaragua. Excellent. And that's their you know, favorite thing to go do. Oh, it's beautiful um, down there. What's after that? After Nicaragua. So now we have another, now we have six months. Six months. I come back into, actually, I'm going to be hiking the Inca Trail and, and seeing Machu Picchu. Okay. And that's one of the only sort of bucket list, just want to check that box items. Uh, and then I come back to the States. And um, at that point, believe I go to Utah, and there's a school in Utah called Boulder Outdoor Survival School. And they have a 28-day course where they take you out in the woods or into the desert or in the mix of both with, I think it's 10 students and three teachers. And you get a knife a poncho and a water bottle and that's it wow for the 28 days have you ever done anything like that i have not were you a boy scout i was not i got to do that when i was uh 15 but we had four months to prepare okay but we had to um everything we took had to fit inside our pocket oh wow and so <laughs> how how could how big of a sheet of foil could you, <laughs> yeah, could you fold in and waterproof matches and you know those kinds of things and you learn and they dropped us off at uh, outside of Edwards Air Force Base oh, wow. in Southern California which is all desert and yeah. it was a Friday night and picked us up Sunday night we had nothing yeah and figured it out and there were teams of two oh wow um, so i had so you're going to absolutely love that yeah, i can't wait that's uh, there's a lot of learning there. Yeah, um, a lot of experience and and take. How did take you away. find that? When what was I mean? Because obviously you've thought about mm-hmm. this, you know, in planning this out. Mm-hmm. Were there other journeys that? Oh God, that's you saw it or heard about it. Said, oh, that sounds good. I, I would like to go do that. Beyond what I'm doing. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, I tried to get into um, the prison system. Really? Yeah, I wanted to volunteer with prisoners, and either did teach that work or it, not it work? It didn't work. We could help you with that. It it just there's a Tedster. Yeah, I actually spoke with her, and oh, it, you did. It didn't. It ended up oh. didn't manifesting. Oh. Yeah, so I was hoping to go up there and work with them. They're doing a TEDx San Quentin. Yeah, I know. And yeah. wanted to volunteer to teach, uh, and just facilitate in any way. So they just so I guess prisons don't like people who just like, hey, I'd like to come <laughs> and hang out with you guys, <laughs> yeah. right? Did no. Yeah, sorry. I didn't pass the, sorry, yeah, rich, the requirements. Sorry, privileged guy. Yeah, exactly. You don't get to come here and exactly. hang out with us. Yeah, I got next. So please don't go commit a crime <laughs> no, so that no, you no, can no, get no. in there, okay? No. That uh, was but, but you could go, you know, I mean, there. what is it about prison? What do you think you would get from that? It was working with people that I didn't think had been given a, an opportunity or given maybe the same opportunities that I've been given. And I wanted to give back. And I also thought it would be people that are willing to give you brutal honesty and have faced an experience that I can't comprehend. So on a less, maybe a less harsh scale than going to San Quentin, I would think you might look at the local juvenile uh, facility here. Is Um, Los Prados still open? Yeah, I think it is. We used to volunteer there at the gym, yeah. Yeah, that was a great experience. They would probably appreciate someone like you who you've got street cred <laughs> as it were yeah. right you know when I you walk so. in there that that those 
those young people. I had an opportunity to work with them through Partners in Education okay. 15 years ago on our Computers for Families project. Oh, great. And we would collect computers that were being recycled out of businesses, take them up to Los Prietos. They would strip them all down, refurb them, and oh, they wow. actually got tech skills as oh, a yeah. result of that and then got reintegrated back into the the economy here oh, getting cool. jobs so that project's you know been nationally acclaimed and you good know for that you. was really really good 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 uh, uh, so that might be something so thank you there's something after utah have you you've just not mapped out the last bits utah after utah actually i'm going to be um esalen has a work study program okay where you can live there tell people what esalen is esalen is a retreat center and I would, for lack of a better term, education center. Located in? And I believe it's in Big Sur. Yeah. Yeah. And for a month, you can work there and then take classes with with whomever is teaching. And there's a course on nonviolent communication that oh. I'm finding very interesting. Oh. And so I want to be there for that month. Well, I, I know, because uh, we've talked that when we say with communications as we come to the end of our time, mm-hmm. that... Um, for you, the the life after, you know, the change, the Traver 3.0, because you'll be completely mm-hmm. different, uh, <laughs> is, is about you You want to be a speaker. Yes. You want to get out and tell. That's yeah. why you're taking the Strategically Speaking Workshop. Right. Um, that's going to be fantastic, by the way. No, it's, I can't wait for it. It's some people coming from all over the country for can't that here to Santa it. Barbara. Um, but you want to get out there and and talk to people and, and what's driving that? Cause I know you've got a, just a insane drive to do that. I want to be, I want to affect people positively and I want to inspire people to look at their lives and say, how can I live this with my higher purpose in mind? Or how can I find that higher purpose? How can I add quality by digging deeper and looking deeper and making decisions that may not be societally available but are going to produce a result that, that, that leads to a quality of life that's far different than most people are experiencing. So by actually not talking about it, but actually going and doing it, doing, doing it the first. work, yes. do the work, do figure the work. it out, Yeah, you can then talk about it and probably figure out how to chunk it down yeah. so people could have that year in a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. Because, you know, the, that, like you said, that person who's, hey, I'm dialed. Right. And everything's working right. Well, right. we could you be 1% better? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're used to working with high-performance people. So yeah. I'm, and I'm everybody imagining... everybody can better. Everybody. Everybody can. Yeah. There's, well, the people who want to do better are doing better. They're actually mm-hmm. listening to this show so they can get better, <laughs> uh, which I love. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. I, um, I appreciate uh, We will here. be following the blog. And Excellent. And we'll... You know, if you'll send us reports, we'll, Absolutely. we'll we'll make sure that people know about that. Absolutely. And uh, you can actually post this show Excellent. on the blog so people can kind of get to know you and get a, a better understanding of you. So tell us again how we find the blog. Is it T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M.com? It is. Yes. Perfect. And so I'll have it up on Facebook and Instagram. The whole trip can be followable. Let's not get too distracted with social media while you're out there, okay? Promise. Okay, good. I, I love that because we tend to, we call it continuous partial attention, ah. right? And I don't, <laughs> I don't want you to do that. Well, we've come to that part of the show which our listener loves and looks forward to, which is the, um, what are we going to call this episode? Ooh. And you get first dibs. 
Ooh. How about the Year to Live episode? Great. I like it. The Year to Live. And uh, with that, I'm, I really... Uh, do you like to take pictures? Yeah. Or you write? Uh, both. I like to write. I love yeah, to I know write. you love to write, so yeah. you, you have pictures with words. But yeah. um, uh, I, I'm looking forward to the photos yeah, as thank you. well. Thank you. Uh, remember to take them in landscape mode, okay? <laughs> so people forget that. That's that, that simple little trick. So I, I want to thank you again thank very you. much for spending time with us. And thanks again to California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. We have the best conversations in this little 10 by 10 a box located in the bottom of the Balboa building here in Santa Barbara, and Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect project, and this project we're going now into our third year, is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. More information, if you'd like to know how to get more involved with us as a partner or sponsor our efforts, go look at 805connect.com. Partners page is right there on the top. Remember also that this show could use your support, and the way you can help is to tell a friend. Uh, I, if you were as inspired by this episode as I was, um, here's what you do. The person who's nearest you right now asks to borrow their phone, take the phone, look at their podcast app, and then go to the search button and hit 805. It'll come right up to the top and subscribe them. And then tell them your favorite episode, because we've got almost 50 there to pick from. Have them listen to it. They'll say thank you, and you say you're welcome. And we've added a new subscriber. See how that works? I would also love to hear from you personally. So if there was something inspiring here, you'd like to um, tell us your story about your year to live or something that you're doing that's interesting or a person you've met, let me know. Send me mail, mark at 805connect.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Thank you.